so the message is entitled, like I said, like, sh like showers that water the earth. And it's based on Psalm 72.6. And before I get into that, uh, what I wanted to do is read a portion of the autobiography of George Mueller, uh, because it applies very well to the message today. If you're not familiar with George Mueller, uh, he was a man that lived in, I believe it was the late 1800s. Um, he felt called of the Lord to establish um, uh, orphanages for the children that were living on the street. This was during the time of the Industrial Revolution in England, where a lot of orphan kids were living on the street. They were being abused. They were hungry. Uh, it was just, it was a horrific situation for them, and he wanted to care for them. And his life is a fascinating study because he was extremely successful in what he did, but he started with absolutely nothing, ended up establishing these orphan houses all over England, and it was all done through faith. He would just simply go in the direction he felt the Lord was leading him, and he was constantly in prayer, moving forward in faith, and the Lord always provided so that he could do the work that he was striving to do. So it's very inspiring. Uh, he's a very inspiring man to study. If you ever get a chance to read uh, the autobiography of, of George Mueller, uh, it's a great book. But this is um, from that book. It's from his journal. And he says, the primary business I must attend to every day is to fellowship with the Lord. The first concern is not how much I might serve the Lord, but how my inner man might be nourished. I may share the truth with the unconverted. I may try to encourage believers. I may relieve the distress, or I may in other ways seek to behave as a child of God. Yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day may result in this work being done in a wrong spirit. The most important thing I have to do is to read the word of God and to meditate on it. Thus, my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, and instructed. And I love that because it's such an important thing for us to remember. And like, it's one of the points that I try to make constantly is we live in a time of extreme busyness. Uh, we have phones that I feel make us too accessible. Uh, people can contact us by making a phone call, texting us, reaching out to us with a beep. So we're always accessible to the world. And why that may, while that may be convenient, in some ways, I really think it's unhealthy in a lot of other ways. Um, I think it's a good idea during our, our time of Bible study and prayer. You know, we just need to turn off our phones and to get away from them um, and to spend time in quiet. Uh, so cell phones can really be damaging to our spiritual life and to our walk with Christ if we let them take over our lives. And they can be very abusive that way. I don't think the other problem I think they cause is... Uh, through social media, uh, we're inundated with information. And I don't think the human mind was created to just scan through massive amounts of information or, or memes or just bites of information. Uh, I think it's healthier if we're meditating on something that's interesting, something that's nourishing, something that's edifying. Uh, that's how we study God's word. So I've got a lot of concerns about social media and about technology, but when you read guys like George Mueller, Charles Spurgeon, anybody down through Christian history, especially before the advent of electricity, you see an incredible depth of thought and you know that you're reading 
the, the writings of someone that has spent a great deal of time in meditation and contemplation in communion with the Lord to know him better. And what better way for Satan to fight against that than to surround us with beeps and rings and constant information flows. You see what I mean? So I would highly recommend taking a Sabbath each week, you know, um, you know, take a day where you just don't engage with the phone. You don't engage with the computer. I, I really make myself do that. And I've really, I used to spend a lot of time on social media and I really trimmed that down um, and try not to engage in it, in it too much anymore. And it's, it's a blessing when I don't. Uh, I love not being engaged in those things. Now, what I want to share with you guys is the sermon today is based on Psalm 72.6, but I want to go ahead and read all of Psalm 72 so that we can understand the context that this one small verse comes from. So if you, I'm not going to put this um, whole psalm up on the screen. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 72, and I'm just going to read through it. And it's a psalm that speaks of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, thousands of years before he was born, before his incarnation. But it's a writing, it's, it's written by Solomon, and it prophesies about the blessings and the comfort and the protection, the guidance that we will have through Jesus Christ. So it's a very special psalm. So Psalm 72, it's entitled, The Reign of the Righteous King, A Song of Solomon. And it says, give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted with justice. Let the mountains bring peace to the people and the hills in righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted of the people, save the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Let them fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he come down like rain upon the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and abundance of peace till the moon is no more. May he also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let the nomads of the desert bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. And let all kings bow down before him, all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries for help, the afflicted also, and him who has no helper. He will have compassion on the poor and needy, and the lives of the needy he will save. He will rescue their life from oppression and violence, and their blood will be precious in his sight. So he may live, and may the gold of Sheba be given to him. And let them pray for him continually. Let them bless him all day long. May there be abundance of grain in the earth on top of the mountains. Its fruit will wave like the cedars of Lebanon. And may those from the city flourish like vegetation of the earth. May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines. And let men bless him and let men bless themselves by him. Let all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So obviously this is talking about Christ, the coming Messiah. 
But what I want to focus on is this one verse from this psalm, and it's verse 72, 6, Psalm 72, 6. May he come down like rain upon the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. And this is a sermon that I, these notes I actually had from a few years ago, uh, and I got this from a sermon Charles Spurgeon preached, and I sort of made an outline from that and then built on it and, and made it into uh, my own sermon. And I'm really trying to focus on these kind of sermons right now where we understand the blessing that we have in Christ and that we do not have to be affected by the things in the world. And the reason I'm focusing on those is because we all know about the insanity that's going on in the world. And so many Christians are contacting me right now that are just weighed down and they feel like they're just being crushed under all of that's happening in the world. So I would highly recommend turn off the TV, uh, turn off social media, spend time in God's word, and you will just move right through this and everything's going to be fine. God is in control. But if you really buy into all of that's going on, it will weigh you down. And for some reason, I've got to find the verse, but it talks about in Romans where the Antichrist will wear, will strive to wear down the saints. And in a way, I think maybe we're being prepared for hard times, who knows how far down the road, um, through what we're going through now. Because what we're going through now is really, uh, it's not that big of a deal to each of us personally. We're not being personally persecuted. We're just living through a time where the, the country's in turmoil and we're just seeing a lot of insanity going on. So we can't let that affect us too much. We got to realize that there are Christians all around the world that are suffering far worse than those of us in America. So let's look at this verse and I pray that it just lifts everyone's spirits and that we can uh, meditate on this maybe in the coming week. May, the, may he come down like rain upon the moon grass like showers that water the earth. So just look at this visual. He's given a symbolic language now of how Christ affects his children while we're here on the earth. I want to say hi to, uh, to Bapa Mark. He's one of our pastors from Kenya uh, in Nairobi, and I will see you guys in a couple weeks there. Um, many of the Psalms like this one, are speaking prophetically of the Messiah. They're giving us an image of what we're going to enjoy if we are in Christ, if we are believers, some of the blessings that we have in him. But what I want you to think about, because like I said, we're seeing these metaphors of how Christ affects us, the rain upon the moon grass, like showers that water the earth. And what I want you to think about here is that much of the Lord and his gospel is reflected in the world all around us. This is very important to understand because, like I said, I believe every Christian should start their day in prayer and in the word. But then you've got to go out into the world. But the cool thing about understanding this is when you go out into the world, you can still be meditating upon God just by simply looking around at creation and seeing him in everything. And that's really what this psalm talks about, and especially this verse today. We can be reminded of Christ and the gospel in so many things in the world around us. Christ is called the rock. So whenever we see a huge, unmovable rock, we can realize that that exemplifies the fact that Christ never changes. He never moves from his position of perfect truth. You see, we can stand on that rock eternally. We can see him in harbors. You come into a harbor you've ever sailed, you've ever read stories about people that have gone to sea, if you're trapped in a storm at sea and you're being tossed about by the waves and you're worried about sinking, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get into harbor. You're trying to get in behind the breakwater where it's safe. 
That's where Christians are in Christ. What a great metaphor that is for what we're going through now is the world's going crazy and so many people are freaking out, trying to figure out how bad it's going to get or when it's going to end or what's the way out of all this insanity. Is America going to fall apart if the wrong guy wins the election in a few months? We don't have to let that affect us spiritually or even mentally because we have a safe harbor. We're in Christ. Everything's going going crazy around us, but we get to be in a harbor where it's safe and calm and peaceful, and the waves are not affecting us. Stormy seas, like I just alluded to, streams. We live in Idaho. There's streams everywhere. Streams being, bring water to dry areas. Streams provide life. Jesus is the living water that never ends. Calm lakes. What does Psalm, uh, the 23rd Psalm say? You, you lead me beside still waters, not waters that are tempestuous. Thunder and lightning. We see the power of God when thunderstorms come through. We have them here in Idaho, and I know you guys in, in Kenya have them there, especially in the Kisi area. Crazy thunderstorms. They're amazing. And they speak and they attest to the power of God. Deserts. Where we live in Idaho, again, you go one direction and you've got pristine alpine lakes and forests. You go the other direction and it's dry and you have desert. They're both beautiful in their own way. But even being in a desert, we can meditate on the fact that if we have to be walking through a desert and it's hot and it's dry, that we're sustained by that living water, which only comes through Jesus Christ. Rivers. Rivers of living water is one of the metaphors that the, the Lord gave us himself. The structure of a tree. When you see a tree, you can see a picture of the church of Christ, of his body. He is the trunk. He's the true vine. And we all spring from him. Without him, the branches and the leaves and the, cannot survive. Plants sending out seed pods. What do we do when we share the gospel? It's like a plant sending out a seed pod that's going to land and sprout and grow somewhere else. That's what our church strives to do, especially with our work in Kenya. We try to, to share the gospel and to reach the lost, you see, hoping that those seed pods land on good fertile ground that are going to bring, bring forth glory to God and win people for the kingdom. And a cool, refreshing and life-giving rain. And that's what this verse especially is referring to today, a cool, refreshing, and life-giving rain. Where we are right now, it's been, you know, close to 100 degrees for going on a few weeks now. And it gets really old. Every day is just hot, hot, hot. But sometimes, you know, I'll be out, I, I run a lot, and I've had days where, uh, not much this year, but in past years where I'll run on a really hot day, and then all of a sudden a thunderstorm will come through, and that rain will just drench you. That's what Christ does. He sustains us, even though we're walking through a time of heat and dryness. If we seek him, he will sustain us, refresh us, and give us cool, fresh water to bring us through. So Jesus in this psalm, is he's likened to rain. And what I want you to think about, I refer to John 14, 6. It seems like in just about every sermon, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I want you to think of that life. I am the way, the truth, and the life of John 14, 6, that we have by God's grace and the working of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. And that rain is pure. 
As the rain is pure, so the grace of Jesus is pure and holy, unadulterated and purifying. It's pure and it's holy. See, when we're in Christ, everything we receive from him is cleansing because it's absolutely perfect. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift is comes down from heaven. Everything that is not from heaven, that is not through Jesus Christ, is tainted by this world to differing degrees. But if we want to be protected from this world, we want to, we want to be less affected by this world, and we don't want to be tainted and stained by this world, we do it by seeking Christ because he cleanses us of that. He is pure. He is holy. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he shares that with us. That's sanctification. It's unadulterated. Again, the world cannot adulterate or taint or stain the perfect purity and holiness of Jesus Christ. It has no power against him. And he protects us in that as well. And like I said, it's purifying. I love that word, purifying. In a few weeks when I'm in Kenya, it's one of the, the words that I really want to focus on as I, as I teach our pastors. We're doing a, some time of just training with our pastors and our leaders. And something I'm really going to focus on is the topic of purity. The, the church is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. And one of the things that I constantly am concerned about is what teachings are our churches being exposed to? Because one of the greatest, one of the biggest exports right now from America is false teachings. People claiming the name of Christ, but teaching something contrary to Christ that is adulterated and tainted and impure. And in just the couple, in just the last couple of weeks, I've had to address issues like that with, with certain people in ministry. That, it, that it's become visible, it's become clear that they have made started to wander off the narrow path into the path of worldliness. you got to get them back into purity. It's very common nowadays. Purity is something we should be striving for in the church. You know, so many people uh, wonder, are we in the end times? Is, are all the things we're going to leading to the Antichrist? Is the Lord going to return soon? I don't know, but I would say one of the, the, the most glaring signs that we could be nearing the end is, is Christ says there will be a great falling away. There will be a great apostasy. And the vast majority of the modern church is not the church, has no understanding of the gospel, is biblically illiterate, doesn't even understand basic Christian doctrine. That is the opposite of purity. Purity means you're striving to follow the narrow path of Christ, which you can only do if you're prayerfully in him, abiding in him and abiding in his word. So we got to strive for purity. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. It says, I planted, this is Paul writing, Apollos watered. So Paul's saying, I shared the gospel. People were one to Christ. The, the Lord brought them to believe. So he shared the gospel. Apollos watered. What does that mean? Apollos started discipling people up. But God was causing the growth. So Paul shared the gospel, preached to these people. Apollos watered them, continued to edify and encourage and strive to strengthen them in the truth of Christ. But neither one of them could take credit for what was happening in the people. Why? Because it's God who causes the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Such a great thing for anyone to remember that's in ministry. We are not in charge of results. All we can do is preach the gospel, 
disciple those that respond to the gospel, strive to remain pure and to nourish the body of Christ so that we're not affected by the world and all the false teachings in it. But anything that takes place, any growth that happens, any fruit that's born from that is all by God's grace and God's sovereign will. Sometimes that grates on people. No, I want to take credit for my work. I'm sorry. You can't when you're working for the cause of the gospel. I think, yeah, you can be proud of what you do. You can look at it and be amazed at what the Lord's doing through the work that you're doing. But all the glory goes to God. You see, all the glory goes to him. Everything that happens in ministry, if it's true ministry and it's really fruitful. And remember, the only true ministry is given to us in 2 Corinthians 5, where it says we have the ministry, been given the ministry of reconciliation. So if we're involved in a ministry that's serving and caring and taking care of people, but we're not sharing the gospel and striving for people to be reconciled to God, we're not involved in ministry. So I'm talking about true Christian ministry here. All the fruit of that will be by God's grace and God's will, and all the glory will be for him. You see? That's what I tell people all the time. They, they think it's so great what we're doing in, in Kenya. And I tell them, the thing about it is all the glory goes to God because I never planned that. He just made that happen. That's what I love about it the most. Jesus is life-giving like rain coming down to the earth. Like long absent rain in a land of drought brings life and vitality, so does Jesus bring life and vitality to the parched soul. I can tell you from my own experience, when I'm inundated and constantly having to take care of worldly issues and worldly things, and Satan's doing everything he can to distract me and keep me from meditating on the word, from communing with the Lord, from serving him and, and, and being in his word, I start, the only way I can explain it is my soul starts to feel parched. I become drained and worn out and tired. And the only way out of that is to completely step away from things, have time of quiet with the Lord, and he will give me a new vitality. He will refresh me. Do not neglect that. I know people that have gone through years of dryness. I know one of the big problems we have right now in the church is people become idolatrous of their ministry. And they will be so engaged in the work of ministry that they neglect their personal walk with Christ and it nearly destroys people. You've got to maintain your personal relationship with Christ before anything else. If you're in ministry, it's your personal relationship with Christ. The next priority from that is the relationship of your family with Christ. We are to disciple our families before anything else. And then from there, it's our work in ministry. But so many nowadays get that backwards. They neglect their families. They neglect their own personal walk with Christ. Their personal lives become an absolute nightmare because they're totally focused on ministry. And what does that go back to? Again, that goes back to what I talked about at the beginning. A lot of that goes back to social media and technology because everyone is competing against everyone else and trying to look for a place in the limelight. Very common in the modern church. But Jesus is life-giving. Like long-absent rain in a land of drought brings life and vitality, so does Jesus bring life and vitality to the part soul. What I'm doing today is I'm making these points, and then I just want to reiterate them with where we can find these comforting portions of Scripture that, that substantiate the points that I'm making. 
John 4, 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And this is what I've talked about before. God's economy in contrast to the world's economy. The world's economy is an economy of lack. There's not enough to go around for everybody. So you've got to take care of number one. You've got to charge the highest price you possibly can. You got to be competitive. You got to be better than the next guy. Watch out for yourself. God's economy is be a servant, care for others, sacrifice yourself in the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the paradox of this is, is God's economy is one of overabundance and plenty. Your cup will runneth over. The more you expend and the more you give in the, in the cause of the gospel, the more grace that you expend to those that you're caring for in the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more grace that God pours into you. So the more you give, the more you get. It's the opposite of the world's economy. John 5, 21, for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. He is our source of life. Think about the, the beginning of the Bible says in Genesis, that, 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 uh, actually in the beginning of John, Jesus is the source of all life. See, even the most staunch atheistic hater of God, every breath, every heartbeat, every vibration of their cells at the molecular level is by the power of God, by God's grace. Think of that. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we're not limited by this physical existence. The rain that comes down to us as Christ is restoring, it makes the drooping revive and put on fresh life. So Jesus revives the dying soul. And I like that, that, that picture of the drooping soul is revived and puts on fresh life. That's what I experience all the time when people contact me through the Recovery Reformation Ministry. There are people that have been nearly destroyed by their sinful addictions to drugs and alcohol or whatever it is. And when you talk to them, you just you can picture they're like a wilted, drooped, nearly dead plant that just needs to be watered. I had somebody contact me late last night and uh, they're, they're dealing with these kind of issues. And it was the typical conversation that I have with people coming out of addiction. What program would you recommend? Where are your meetings? What steps do you guys go through? No. My counsel to this person was be at this church tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock and you will hear what you need to hear. You'll, you'll be watered with what you need to be watered with. That was my advice. See, it's that simple. There's no sin that Christ has not atoned for if you're one of his chosen elect. So when people come to you and they're suffering through these things, it's so simple. You share the gospel with him. That's the water that I'm talking about. So it was very simple for me to help these that man because I could just refer him I, where he lives. I could refer him to my friend's church because I know that he'll hear what he needs to hear. He'll have that living water that will revive him. You see, that's what we're talking about here. 
So it makes the drooping revive and put on fresh new life. So Jesus revives the dying soul. Let's look at these verses. 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. If you think being a Christian is a life of nice cars, big houses, comfort, and peace in this world, you're in it for the wrong reasons. Peter tells us, after you have suffered for a little while, we're all going to suffer in Christ. We may suffer a little bit. We may suffer a lot, but we will suffer in Christ. It's just the way it is. But that suffering is outweighed by the joy that we have in him, and he brings it through us because of who he is, because of his grace. Psalm 42, 1 and 2, as the deer, this is another one of those beautiful visual pictures that we have. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That's exactly what I was talking about, that part soul a few minutes ago. That's how you'll feel if you neglect personal, intimate time in communion with the Lord, in prayer, in his word, meditating on it. You will be like a deer plant, panting for water brooks, walking through the desert. Your soul will pant for him. And that's a blessing if you feel that. You will thirst for God, the living God. And you'll be asked, when will I be before God again? When can I experience him again? It is a blessing to have those cravings for the Lord. The rain that is Jesus Christ coming down on us is necessary both to beauty and existence. Both to beauty and existence. Let's look at this verse. Hebrews 1.3, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There is no greater beauty than the beauty of Jesus Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God and he is the, the exact representation of the nature of God. You know, people often ask me why I, I share so much in different ways. Artwork. I love classic artwork. The reason is because artists, classic artists from a few hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, they were always striving to convey through their talents just a, just a little bit of the divinity that God is. You'll see that in their paintings. Francis Schaeffer discusses this. He was a, a great Christian philosopher that, that died back in the 80s, but, but it, he was very much into the history of art, and he used art in his teachings to show the changes and the degradation in society over time. And when you really compare what we call art now compared to what was called art, especially during the time of the Reformation, there's no comparison. Compare modern lyrics to lyrics written by the Puritans and the, and, the Ref, and the Reformers in the 1500s. There's no comparison. What we call art nowadays is often just absolutely moronic drivel. But when you look back at what art was when people were more in communion with God and striving to bring glory to him and everything that they did, it's so far superior to what we call art now. So just one of the examples that I'm talking about. 
if you really want to create true art, do something that glorifies God, that lifts up the name of the Son, that proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's when you're truly engaging in art. Jesus is like rain in the manner of his descent, the way that he comes down to the earth. As the rain comes from heaven, so does true grace. John 6.51 says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also, which I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. Believers must be, must be refreshed and strengthened and nourished by the word of God as plants are by the rain. Again, my point about being parched, the only solution is to be nourished by Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So now we see another picture of how Christ is going to come down. The Lord will cast the plague and drought from his kingdom when he returns. All the things that we suffer from, all the insanity and the lies and the darkness and the evil that just pervades this earth will be annihilated and done away with when the Lord returns. He'll wash it clean like a cleansing, beyond like a cleansing rain, because it says he burns it all up. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. The ultimate cleansing is what we look forward to. Look at Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new, new and fresh and perfect and clean. And he said, Write, these write for these words are faithful and true. This is a promise that we look forward to. This is our eternal destiny in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. The rain comes according to God's sovereign will, not according to man's will. So important for us to understand. When you really understand that God is sovereign, that it is that you have no ability to come to Christ unless it is granted to you by the Father, then you'll really start understanding the powerful, amazing truth of God's grace. Look at Romans 9.16. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. It's all through God. As the rain to the ground, Jesus enters, penetrates, and dwells in the believer. Jesus is right here with believers. He abides in us. We're abiding in him. Look at Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell on your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now I want you to look at where it says and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. I just talked to my friend about this this morning who's a, who's a pastor. I think one of the greatest testaments we have to biblical truths is the fact that there are certain biblical truths that are beyond natural human ability 
to grasp, comprehend, visualize, and understand. Because God is not limited by space and time. His reference is so far above us that there are certain truths about him and his plan of salvation that we will never fully grasp until we stand before him. Something very interesting to consider. But he says, and we will know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. That means that we will understand things that are beyond natural human ability to understand. That's why you can share the gospel with certain people for years, and it's like throwing mud against a wall. It just falls off. They don't want to hear it because they're blinded to it. They have not had their hearts opened to the truth of the gospel. And it's why a Christian can read a few verses of Scripture and it absolutely fills you up and strengthens you. It's like rain refreshing you. And an unbeliever can read those same Scriptures and it does nothing for them. That is the grace I'm talking about. Ephesians 4.15, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Everything I'm talking about is so that we can grow and be conformed to the image of Christ as he waters us, as he nurtures us and sustains us and guides us, and we grow in him, we are growing and being more and more conformed to his image. Sometimes the rain comes gently, and it's almost imperceptible. Sometimes... God will just be like a, a light sprinkle on us. Look at Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That is such a comforting portion of scripture. When you've had just a brutal day out in this world, and you've been abused, and you've been confused, and you've been surrounded by lies and anger, and then you read something like that. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What an awesome blessing that is. Praise the Lord. Other times the rain comes in a raging storm and tempest. God may speak to you in a still, small voice. Or if you're in a really bad place, he may need to slap you upside the head so you wake up and start looking to him. Instead of being drawn away into the world. On that day, uh, Mark 4, 35 through 41, on that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obeys him? He used that storm. He used the wind and the sea to teach these men who were with him a lesson that would sustain them for the rest of their lives. Many, just about all these men went to their deaths for the name of Jesus Christ. They may not have had that strength if he hadn't instilled it in them by showing them that even when the storm is beyond comprehension and you're sure you're going to be killed by it, I am there. I am calm. I have power over the storm. I'm in control. That's a great teaching for the times in which we live. Praise the Lord for that. 
in the tempestuous and raging storms of life, when those about us are in panic and anxious turmoil, faithful, faithful believers can wait patiently upon the Lord, knowing that he will bring us through the storm, either home with him or to continue our time here. Sometimes the storm will bring us to a physical end and we'll be with the Lord forever. Praise the Lord for that. Or sometimes the storm will strengthen us for the other things we have to deal with in life going forward. But the point I'm making is God's still speaking through the storm. If you look to him and not at the storm, what happened to Peter when the Lord called him out of the boat and he said, fine, come to me, walk, walk on water to me. Peter was walking on water looking at Christ. But then what happened? It's, it's, it's so human. He's walking to Christ. He's walking on water. He's defying the laws of physics. And all of a sudden, his mind started saying, oh, wait, I'm defying the law of physics. I'm walking on water. This isn't possible. What happened? He wasn't looking at Christ then. He was looking at all these reasons why he couldn't be doing what he was doing. And he started sinking. But if you can just look at Christ, stay on that narrow path and not take your eyes off of him, you will walk on water through every storm that he brings you through. You see? And then understand that the rain doesn't fall everywhere. It's never raining on the entire earth at the same time. Look at John 17, 7 through 9. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. What an awesome and comforting truth that is for Christian believers to consider the fact that we have been chosen out of the mass of humanity to be brought to faith in Christ. See, when Christ died on the cross, he didn't die for the sins of every human being that would ever live. The Bible does not teach that. His atoning sacrifice on the cross was not universal. It was for those who would be brought to believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, those whose names were recorded in the book of life before the world was founded. That is the truth of Scripture. It's awesome. Many run for cover when God's gospel reigns upon them. Sometimes you share the gospel with people and they respond. They want life and eternal Christ. Sometimes you share the gospel with other people. It repels them and they, they run away into destruction. Look at 1 Peter 2, 7 through 8. The, this precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. He is the cornerstone that holds up everything. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Those who reject him, stumble, and are offended by the message of the gospel. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. They were destined for that. Again, we're not in charge of results. God's in charge of results. We don't know who's going to follow him and who's not. And many that seem to be aren't. We've got to just focus on Christ and do what we're commanded to do, share the gospel. Jesus' living water pours forth from our Bibles. And by faithful prayer, we can, we can receive his life-giving rain. Never discount how important it is to be in, study, in the study of God's word, striving to know the personal work of Jesus Christ through his word. That is how we, 
we, we, we, we get that living water that I'm talking about. That's why he gave us his word in scripture. Look at 1 Kings 18, 41 through 46. Now Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. Set, uh, he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go back seven times. It came about at the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and, rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. So the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. The word of God was pouring on them and strengthening them. And that's what he does to us through his word today. See, this is why the law and the prophets were until John. Many people think nowadays that people identify themselves as apostles. The apostles were the original 12 apostles. There are no other apostles. Or they'll identify themselves as prophets as if they're receiving special revelation from God. Jesus said the law and the prophets were until John. What he meant were the law and the prophets that testified of the coming Messiah were until John. Any prophet after that point is only sharing the word of God as we have in Scripture, helping people to understand what the word of God is. You see? That's what that is. I'm going to close with Psalm 81.10. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Folks, sometimes Christians suffer for years or even their whole lives simply because they don't realize that all they have to do is look up to the Lord, open their mouth, and he will pour down rain, uh, blessings, rain, rainstorms of blessings on them. Give them more than they could have ever wanted but they just don't have the faith to look up at him and trust in him. Don't do that to yourself. Realize that God, if you trust in him, if you strive to be conformed to his image, if you strive to stay on the narrow path, if you realize that the, the church is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, you're striving for purity in your personal life and in your corporate life of the church, that he will fill you up your couple runneth over, and you'll have more than you could ever imagined. I can tell you from my own experience in ministry that all the things I've planned for are nothing compared to what God has done. And he made things happen simply when I trusted in him and had faith to move forward. That's how God works. Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again. Uh, Lord, I ask that anybody that's heard this message today that they would open their mouths wide, that they would understand what it is to have faith in you in spite of conditions and circumstances going on around us. Lord, I ask that you'd sustain us and guide us through the coming week. You'd open opportunities for the gospel, opportunities for us to comfort and share with and edify our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray that your name would be lifted up, praised and glorified through it all. In Jesus' name, amen.